Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. My name is Zach, and uh, we just finished our first uh, our first match of the season. So, Sam Andres, or should I say, new LAFC fan, Sam. Hey. Uh, have you ever been in uh, this light of a mood after a 4-0 defeat? No, actually, I mean, Zach, you and I talked about this in person yesterday about... Cause... Uh, we went actually it was my first LAFC game ever and you yeah, you yeah. how was it, it tell, was, tell everyone how awesome LAFC is it's actually you know, I've been to so many games in America I've probably been to like 30 soccer games in America in my lifetime probably more and I've never mm-hmm. ever experienced anything even close to the atmosphere at these games in the uh, what's the name of the the cheering section 30. Oh, the 3252. 3252. I'll never remember that number, but it's like <laughs> the craziest mosh pit of humans in 90 minutes straight cheering, like beer, showers. Like, I've never had anything like that before. So, if anyone's in Los Angeles and wants to have a good time, go to, the, go to an LAFC game. It's honestly worth yeah, it. Yeah, please don't go to Carson. <laughs> uh, for Galaxy games? <laughs> yeah. yeah the stadium is really nice, too. So, that's a new, an addition. Stadium is nice. So, I mean, speaking of MLS, we got a Houston Dynamo fan in the house. Andres, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I can't say the same for the atmosphere at BBVA Compass Bank Stadium. <laughs> but if you think that Sam and Zach are biased, you guys are more than welcome to tune in to my next episode of the Student of the Game pod where we have Sujin, friend of this pod, as a guest, and she gets to talk a little bit more about what it means to be an LAFC and MLS fan, and mm. uh, she definitely mirrors what Zach and and Sam have been saying. So I mean, I'm a biased. I've I'm a gal. I've been a Galaxy fan my whole life, and I and I really could care less about MLS. And I've always given Zach crap about LAFC. And yesterday's no, game. No, you give me crap. You give me crap about being into the MLS. Period. I give you crap about a lot of things. Period. So, <laughs> but that in particular. I mean, but the game yesterday completely changed my mind. Like I've I've given Zach crap on this podcast. If you guys have listened to other episodes, every time he brings it up, I give him crap about that. That I am not biased. This was the craziest atmosphere I've ever been to. I'm, I'm honestly Zach. Like your experience when you went to the the Chelsea. Uh, Tottenham game at mm-hmm. the bridge was was it the same kind of atmosphere because I've never been to one overseas it was completely different because we were getting smashed by Spurs oh but I will <laughs> say this at, at, at full voice um, I still haven't heard anything as loud as what I heard at the Chelsea match when I saw them play Spurs especially when the, the beginning of the match players walking out onto the pitch mm. you know playing the liquidator like that's I mean that's what it's all about but at the same time like i have a bigger chelsea bias than i do lafc but lafc easily has the best sports environment in los angeles and and, maybe and in like America? that goes in any sport honestly does it, anything get you that know wild? what <laughs> is that it, it, a stretch it, it's it honestly like for for our american fans it resembles a college basketball game and for our european fans it pretty much resembles like almost like a cup final in a lot of ways like we didn't sit once it was awesome yeah but, I mean, why don't we get – let's get into Chelsea because, uh, like, on one hand, there, yeah. on one hand we had a blast watching the LAFC game, and on the other hand it was a little more difficult to watch. 
with Chelsea. Yeah, I, I, to- I totally forgot you asked me that question originally. I just went on an LAFC <laughs> tangent. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, hear, it, we were talking about that bef- uh, during the game or after the game about, like, I've never felt – I've never gotten over a loss like this so fast. Like, norm- like last season and any- pretty much any season before this one, like, if I were- we were to get smacked down by m- – I mean, not just any team, but Man United 4-0 – on opening week, I would just uh, like my whole week would be ruined. I like could, I would not be able to get over it. But going into this, I knew that we had you know a lot of injury concerns. Um, obviously, the transfer ban going in, so we did, weren't able to bring anyone else new. And just it being the first week at Old Trafford, like I really wasn't feeling too good going into it to begin with. So I didn't have my expectations crushed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, we, we talked about it, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a lot of positives about the game. Uh, and Andres, I know, I know you feel somewhat similar. Like, like I know it's, I know it's frustrating to watch us get, you know, torn apart in the span of 15 minutes after playing decent throughout the match. But I mean, w- what did you take away from it? What, what was your general vibe? Were you pissed off? Was it the typical Chelsea loss feeling, or did it feel a little bit different this time? No, it definitely had a different feeling. I don't know if I'm still riding on the Lampard high, but, you know, compare this to that 6 nothing defeat to City, uh, it, it was totally different. I feel like 4-0 didn't give the, the team justice. You know, that first half was ours for the taking, and I can argue that even 20 minutes of that second half was all Chelsea. So, yeah, it, it's it's disappointing, don't get me wrong. You don't want to lose for nothing to to man united ever so it kind of sucked in the moment but then when you sit down and you kind of think about it a little bit being lampard's very first game a lot of these people's very first game in the premier league for chelsea a lot of other factors but yeah there's still a hopeful feeling in the background of this loss yeah i mean four four nil is actually the worst season opening result in chelsea history and if mm-hmm. you look at the stats, we had 54 possession, 54% possession. So, I mean, we had a little bit more, but still pretty even. 18 shots for us, seven on target, and only 11 for United. 15 chances created for us, 12 chances created for United. And the big kicker, we only had one big chance as compared to three for United, which all converted into goals, their fourth one being the penalty. So, I mean, we kind of gave our general takes of the match, how we felt. We'll start off with the negatives slash worries and, and bad performers, and I think we should finish with like positive and building points because we kind of get some. We've gotten some re- uh, remarks about us being a little too negative, so we'll get the negative out of the <laughs> way because that's just in our blood. You know, you always have to look at something with a bad attitude if you're a Chelsea fan. Uh, I mean, it's a four 0 loss, obviously. So, uh, I mean, Andreas. What, what was your, what was a worrying point for you in this match? Uh, my biggest worrying point was how the team seemed to have this giant gap between the back six and the front four and at times during the game. And Mourinho actually spoke on Sky about it, and he quote-unquote said that these are fundamentals of the game. So, for one, we can't half-ass a high press and then have the defense and to have sit and do a deep block so that disconnect really let players like Pogba just have complete freedom 
at times and essentially exposed us in the back, which, again, led to the goals. So I don't know if this is an issue of time with the system. You know, players, again, lots of first appearances for Chelsea with these teammates. Maybe there's just not that chemistry just yet. I'm just really hoping that these these things that I saw in terms of how we were setting ourselves up weren't something that Lampard commanded them to do. If we're going to go on a high press, I just think we can't half-ass a high press. The defensive line should be a lot further up and, you know, kind of claiming the halfway line to make sure that those guys that are pressing at the very front don't use their energy and and find out that it's wasted when we get hit on the counter. So we need to have a lot more compactness defensively, and that way we can have a lot more fluidity when we do win possession back and move the ball up the pitch. So that's my big worry is just that the way we set up on the field without the ball, just it kind of seemed like it was two ideas clashing in my mind. What about you, Zach? Um, it kind of ties into what Andres is saying about the press. Like, like, like we can't have this half, this half-ass press almost, where you know the midfield decides to press and and, and condense space and try to win the ball back in the central part of the pitch. But the second a ball gets spit out into wide areas, there's no one within 25 yards of, of Rashford or a Lingard or or one of their wingers that they were playing with. My big issue was the fullbacks, and I think I had a realization while I was watching this match. We have a complete lack of depth at fullback. Not that that's a secret to anybody, but we have basically three fullbacks that are uh, that are in the squad that aren't fit for purpose. And uh, I mean, I'm just going down the list here. I mean, Marcus Alonso. I think things have gone to the point where he just needs a move. There's two managers in a row now that don't fancy him. Two playing styles that don't fancy him. I think he. I think he needs to be off. Zapacosta, I don't know who that is. Um, and then, you know, we got we, we had Emerson, who was phenomenal, probably one of our best players on the day, um, who can play this system because, you know, he has that ability to get up and down the pitch. He could also attack. He has a decent cross. He's a goal threat also, as we saw in this game. He hit the post. He, he had another shot that just uh, that, that just went wide. He's more so but, of the goal threat than a crossing threat, like by, by yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. He I had our so. most shots on target this match. But, but I mean, I think you need a player like that, to be completely honest, especially like, especially with the system we're going to play. If we do play a 4-2-3-1, we will struggle to get with sometimes. It's going to look narrow, just like it did under Mourinho. But, I mean, just to kind of continue on with my point, my big issue was Dave. You know, he, he can – Frank basically wants his fullbacks to do three things. They need to be able to run. They need to be able to, to, to defend and transition, and they need to be able to press. And for me, Dave could only do two of those things now. Um, he got burned. Um, he, I mean, he was getting skinned by Rashford, but, like, I mean, Rashford could pretty much skin anybody. But it seems to be a recurring theme with Chelsea. And if we're going to play this high line and be this uh, high-pressing, high-tempo, let's win the ball in the attacking third and, and, and nick something type of team, which is what Frank is going for, that, that little bit of grit, I don't think Dave is fit for purpose because – that high line is just going to expose our lack of pace. And I know we got Zuma in the back line as opposed to David Luiz now. I mean, when we get Rudiger back, he's pacey as well. But we just can't completely throw away the whole entire right side to accommodate one player. I think I think if we do play with Dave, 
um, where he thrives the most is, I mean, you think about the managers, Conte and Mourinho, managers that protected him, deep, low defensive lines, uh, banks of four, banks of five, and just making it completely impossible, keeping the team in front of him. I mean, that's his, that's his strength. So it's early on in the season. I'm not worried. I'm not saying let's drop Dave. I'm not saying he's not good enough for Chelsea. He's not good enough for Frank. But it's just something I observed. I mean, if it carries on for the first few months of the season, then some question marks are going to be raised. And I'm just worried about Reese James being thrown into the fire too early. And 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 I think the the quicker Dave could get back into form and be the player that he once was would make uh, Reese James's uh, acclimation to the Premier League and especially the first team more seamless. Zach, I mean, I know you mentioned that uh, Dave Dave's performance in this match and. You know, you said that I noticed that, you know, I mean, I think that every single person who watched this match noticed it. It really was one of his worst performances I've ever seen. And obviously, I don't want to buy read too much into it, being it being the first match, just like how you said. But it, it, it has to be said that that was probably he was probably one of the worst performers on the field in that game. And that's saying a lot because really down the line, there were a lot of bad performances. So, I mean, I think to end this negative section where we trash everything let's uh i'll, I'll ask you guys zach who was who do you think was the worst performer well i know what andres is gonna say <laughs> but um i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with kurt zuma um i'm i'm zuma's biggest fan for anybody that's been listening to us since day one um they know i love kurt zuma i don't i'm not slating him at all i'm not calling him crap very my argument is very similar to Dave you know he was atrocious yesterday and there were multiple occasions where Christensen had the cover for him and you know he gets pulled out of position a lot he's missing tackles technically he still hasn't developed the way you want to see him develop um, but this isn't a worry because at his absolute worst he's a squad player for us and that's a damn good squad player to have as a backup center back and I mean, just to kind of like round this off with something somewhat positive, Zuma is class. I just want to put it out there. He's an athletic freak. He has the ability to be one of the most dominant players in Europe aerially and physically, and and, and, and he's more than serviceable as a potential backup and, and Zach, rotation did, player. Didn't you say yesterday that he that was the first penalty he ever conceded? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I saw it on Twitter somewhere. Uh, I think it was I think it was Yannick, uh, our, our good friend Yannick. But he uh, he tweeted out that that was Kurt Zuma's first penalty conceded in the Premier League. So for everybody that's calling him a crap defender and saying, oh, he can't defend, he can't do this, he can't do that, I just want to remind you that's his first penalty that he's conceded. The guy's been playing regular football for two seasons as a starter already. He was a regular starter for Chelsea um, in Mourinho's second stint. And let's not forget, that second stint with Mourinho, Zuma was one of the players that flourished under him. I mean, he was one of the bright spots in a very bad season for us. So I think the main thing to remember here is, like, the guy just needs time. You know, him and Christensen haven't started a league game together. And the fact that Conte was missing uh, made it a lot more difficult for them. Um, but you know, only time will tell. I think, I think it's a partnership that could be serviceable, but do I think it's going to be our starting partnership or our strongest partnership at the back? Probably not. Right, what about you, Andreas? Uh, just to touch on, on the Zuma thing, one thing that we didn't really discuss or, or Zach didn't mention is just even trying to possess out of the back, Zuma just looked very uncomfortable this mm -hmm. weekend. 
unforced errors being the the biggest and most glaring issue. I don't know if it was the fact that in preseason he was playing as the right center back versus the left center back. Now with David Luis missing or leaving, he's now sliding over to the left with Christensen now to his right. Maybe just Old Trafford week one was just too much to handle, but or maybe yeah, he was just I, shook after giving up that penalty. Could, you know, could it be? Could it, it. could it be the same problem that Dave had yesterday though too, where he's playing a system that doesn't necessarily suit his style because. Zuma's an out-and-out center back. He doesn't have very much technical ability. We talked about it already. But again, under Mourinho, a deep defensive line, he flourished, just like Azpilicueta did. So, I I mean, it's just something to throw out there. I got flashes of Andreas Christensen against uh, Barcelona. Just after that first mistake, he just looked like a completely different player because of the lack of confidence, you know? So I think that's, like, kind of the same situation here, honestly. Right, I, I thought his day started poorly and it just got worse. So, yeah. like I said, some of the mistakes I'm talking about came before that penalty. Okay, right, but, right. but yeah, it, it's still – you're right. I mean, you, you give up a penalty that early. You put your team in a tough situation. Even can't all respond those before things, half-time. even before, combined with that, even right, it might have right. even started before the, the penalty. How many, how many players really bounce back from conceding a penalty at Old Trafford in the opening day yeah, of the it's season? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, to me, again, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's – I think it's a little bit short-sighted to say Zuma's done. <laughs> so but, back to worst performers yeah, of the exactly. game. Yeah, Andreas. my worst performance, and Zach, you alluded to it, it was Aspili Quetta, and it literally nice. hurts my soul to, to be saying these words. Like, I love Aspi. He, I have his jersey. I was one of the, the people that loved his appointment as captain. I, I think he's one of the best defenders, again, in a low block, one-on-one, when he knows that the, the pressure's coming. But... He just looked so uncomfortable yesterday. And to be one of the more senior players on the side and, and just look afraid for your life when the ball is coming to you is is not acceptable at this point. He also offensively, that was an issue. Then he would try. I feel like he was trying to go out of his way to prove that he could make runs forward, which then just only hurt him even more coming back. I thought that he was making bonehead mistakes. I mentioned needing to have a high line, and he was following his man, just essentially keeping him onside, which led to a goal. Then on a different goal where uh, it was Pereira doing the cutback cross, there's actually a still picture that I believe it was Newman on Twitter posted where Aspie's not even looking at his man, then has to react last second and is late to defending the cross. I mean... These are just ridiculous mistakes, and and I hate to say, it, but it gave me fifteen, you know, this, the fifteen sixteen season where Ivanovic just started awful and never recovered. It's giving me PTSD from that, and I know that it is the first game of the season, but we have to remember Aspie's not the youngest guy either, and I feel like defenders aren't. You're either you're either gonna solidify yourself at this point or again a change in system can just ruin you for the rest of your time at the club and and we might be at one of those crossroads with Aspie again it kills me to say that but this could be another 15-16 Ivanovic situation and I just hope that one maybe I'm wrong or two Lampard reacts to it and hopefully we can find a solution rather than trying to ride it out the way Mourinho did with Ivanovic, which was only costly for the team. So 
for me, Aspie was by far the worst player on the pitch Andres, and responsible for at least two or three goals. I'm sorry. Do you mind expanding a little bit on something you said? So you mentioned how you think on you think that Aspie pressed up a lot to prove that he could still do it. I mean, what do you mean by that? Who's he trying to prove wrong, and what is he trying to prove? Well, for think? one, we, we we saw it with David Luiz leaving. Frank Lampard has said that you find your position on this team based on what you do. I think that Aspie is your, your typical teacher's pet mm-hmm. kind of player. So proving so, to Lampard, you're saying, not, not exactly. to the fans. Uh-huh. Right. I don't think this is a thing. To the fans love Aspie. I mean, the, the guy's mm-hmm. done it all for this club since he arrived. He's played I mean, left back, center back, everything. If you told me he started that, every game till the end of the season, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Right, I mean, of it, that's just the level of loyalty I have for Aspie. I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same, but sorry to cut you off, Andres. That, that's what I'm saying, though. I think that we're in a new time where Lampard is trying to play a very high-energy, high-pressing, very mobile athletic system. Mm-hmm. And we already saw one of the vets get kicked out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And nobody is safe right now. This is a transitional season where we're trying to figure out how to move forward. And maybe in Aspie's head, it he just thought, okay, I need to, I don't know, be the next Trent Alexander-Arnold or something and fly down the wing when, mm-hmm. in reality, he doesn't have the wheels to get back. And, well, you have Marcus Rashford and Martial licking their lips, seeing all this space in behind him and, you know, being very clinical when the chances came. So that that's what I'm talking about. I think you can have – Lampard system where you can restrict one of your fullbacks from going too far up and maybe that's an adjustment we can make where we let Emerson continue to to attack the left side and maybe we have the the right-sided attacking midfielder be more of a natural winger but something needs to be done or, or Aspie is going to be exposed a lot this season uh, I wanted to wrap up the negativity portion but I wanted to give a couple honorable mention shout outs first uh to both Pedro and my boy Ross the Boss. They both had very similar performances. Like, I think both of them just had three, four, five extra touches that they really didn't need to do every time they got the ball. Both took shots that realistically, like, in the past they've made, and sometimes you need a goal like that. But still, both of them were taking shots from outside the box that weren't really, you know, high percentage, something like that. But obviously when nothing else is working like you got to take one of those every once in a while and just like a lot of flashes of just like really like like pedro a couple possessions i think it was it was a Giroux who's subbed yep. in making a run and literally i was screaming out at the tv look up look up pass it down to him and right after i got a text from like both of you saying dude pedro you got to pass that but i, I mean i'm sure anyone yeah. who watched the match knows exactly the moment i'm talking about but um you know, just both of them, not really the best performances, but some small flashes. But I was disappointed, especially with Pedro's performance. Ross, I have, you know, I have a little bit of a bias for him. So, but let's move on to the building points. Uh, the scoreline of this match, not at all, gave this match justice and does not accurately re- reflect how we played. Um, one of our newest newest listeners, actually, at Parish Pollard. He says that we we played fairly fairly well despite our score. We finished one or two of the great chances in the first half and were in good shape. We knew finding a scorer or finisher was a need, and the same we had the same issue last season. And he's not concerned yet. I think Parrish 
makes a really, really good point, and I think he kind of summarized how I felt really well um, about like you know building on and how to really view this first match. Uh, Andreas, what 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 is the building point of this match? What do you think? For me, it was the very first twenty something minutes of this game where the team came out high energy, pressing, counter pressing, winning the ball and quickly moving it upfield and catching the opposition kind of unorganized. I thought that Tammy showed a lot of flashes of greatness, and I'll let Zach touch on that in a second. I thought that the Kovacic and, and Jorginho started the, the game pretty well. Emerson was taking advantage of the left side a lot. You know, the, the one thing, we're just one step from making it all work. And again, Parrish kind of mentioned it. There was a couple of chances where maybe a player was one step from finishing a cross or one player was maybe a half second from making the pass. And that all comes from, you know, familiarity with your teammates and playing together. But I just thought that whenever, before the penalty kick, Chelsea was bringing the the heat to United. We were gunning at them. We weren't waiting for them to, you know, make a slight misstep and then capitalize. No, no, no. We were forcing the ball down their, like, down their throat, taking shots at De Gea, there hitting was the post a couple times. Yeah. But De Gea, exactly. De Gea probably was the man of the match, honestly. He was unbelievable. Easily, easily. But even, you know, one thing that we mentioned in the pre, in the preview, I mentioned Juan Bissaka being a fantastic right back. I thought that, you know, the, the left side of the attack, mostly Emerson handled his presence pretty well. We, we didn't test Maguire as much as I probably would have liked, but it was the fact that, again, when the kickoff started – that young group of Chelsea players wasn't afraid of who they were facing. And that initial confidence and implementation of the system, I think, is is a very good first step. Now to, we need to, to be fair, expand also, that. To be fair, sorry to cut you off. Man United is also a really young team as well, but... For sure, I think they have a lot more experience at like playing time as far as like the combined years. I don't even. Yeah, that's what I was gonna get to. Is that a lot of that United side are for, like they're mostly familiar faces. I know there's a couple new faces there with you know like Harry Maguire and Daniel Who James. Has experience, and, you know. Harry Maguire. No, I know, but 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 the core of that squad has been together. I, I, right, I, for Rashford, Martial. A while, yeah. exactly. They're and, young, but they've been wearing the United shirt at the prem level. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's the point. And let's not forget when was Solskjaer appointed? Was it like around November, December? December I want to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So you know he's had another what eight to nine months working with and the transfer window. Exactly, and 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 that's what I was going to get to. But to kind of you know uh, answer Sam's question, I am fully team Tammy, guys. I know we're going to get that whole argument of, but uh, he's a striker. Strikers need to score goals. And I'll sound like a total hypocrite if I <laughs> if I try to argue against that point. Because, I mean, I was arguing the same thing all last season. But he has something about him that could keep him in the first 11 for league matches. I, I, I think he's... I don't think he's ready-made for the Premier League, but I think he could be under the right guidance and leadership. So... You know, I talked about his pace before in previous podcasts. He's a lot more athletic than people give him credit for. His footballing IQ is great. 
He has a. We saw him drop uh, a little deeper at times in this match when we were attacking and turn with the ball and 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 continue the pattern of play, which is something we haven't seen any of our strikers do since since Diego Costa probably. But that's the thing I love about him is that I see a little bit of Diego Costa in him. And allow me to explain myself. The guy puts in. The, the guy the guy puts in tackles left and right and yes he was late on a lot of those but those send messages to the other team and I think though that like that's one of the things that doesn't really show up on a stat sheet but could ultimately have an impact on the game he's an intimidator he kicks the hell out of people he barks at people while they're on the floor he has a little bit of bite about him you know and I like that we haven't seen we haven't had a player like that since Diego Costa, and that's part of the reason why he was so special. And it's completely beneficial to the team because if he's not scoring goals, he's at least mixing things up, and and he's occupying defenders. He's 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 barging into people. He's kicking people. That's kind of what we need. We need a little bit of that, a little bit of the dark arts up top. I feel like we have too many nice. Uh, too many nice uh, flare players up top. You know, we we don't have it. We don't really have a bruiser, especially with Loftus Cheek out. So, I think with two or three seasons at this level, you know, of course he's going to be in and out of the squad. We'll probably wind up buying a striker the next time. Uh, the next time we're allowed to purchase players in a transfer window. But I will say this: um, he is a player to keep an eye on. You know, moving into the future. And if if you don't believe me then you clearly don't believe in Frank Lampard because post-match, he specifically name-dropped Tammy and Mason Mount and how he was very impressed with uh, with the maturity they showed playing in their first Premier, League get, first Premier League starts for Chelsea against Manchester United at Old Trafford, first game of the season. There's a lot of positives to take away from that. And you know, I know I talk a little bit about Tammy, but... We could also talk about Mason Mount as well. I mean, the kid is a natural number 10, isn't he? You know, I, I we always talk about how he can play the number 8, and, you know, he could pretty much play any of the three midfield positions if he, we really needed him to. But based on what I saw this match, he can be an awesome number 10 for us. The runs he makes in behind, he occupies a space right behind the striker wonderfully. He has a long shot on him. He could pick out a pass. And his defensive work rate was great as well. And I didn't even get the t- chance to talk about Tammy's work rate because, you know, I, 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 I think I think the the wild card here and the thing nobody's talking about with either of these two players, but more Tammy specific. Sorry, I, I keep flip flopping, but I'm just getting really excited. But the thing with the thing that Lampard likes about Tammy is his defensive prowess. Right? He he drops back. He puts in the hard yards. And that's key. And I noticed him taking up the quote-unquote Drogba position on set pieces at the near post, the same exact positioning that Drogba would set himself up in. Usually at the front post, you put a big, tall striker there that could leap up in the air, not afraid to put his head behind the ball. And that's exactly what Tammy did. And sometimes he was even dropping into the midfield line. And maybe Frank was telling him uh, not to do that as much as he was, but you know, guys, I think we just have to get used to the fact that we have an adaptable manager. And there were times in this match where we were up against it, and Tammy dropped back for two, three, four, five minutes at a time. And I have no issue with that. And the fact that, you know, it's not as much Tammy being a yes man as it is Tammy being versatile. You know, he offers something that Giroud and Michi can't really offer. 
and uh, and that's the ability to play multiple styles of football. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's my big positive. I mean, I'm looking for that Tammy Mason Mount partnership to flourish. Look, if they can get a combined, let's say combined 20 goals and assists across the whole season, that's a ridiculous output for your first season in a Premier League, especially across two players too. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, Team Tammy all the way, guys. Yeah. I'm so sold on him. Zach, you mentioned Mason Mount and. To be honest, this was one of the first matches, full matches I've ever watched him play. Um, and it, I was really blown away by the way he performed. I think he was actually one of our best players of the match. And I kind of want to get into it, uh, like who we thought the best performers of the match was uh, were. So, Andreas, I'll start off with you. Who do you think was the best performer on uh, Sunday? Oh, I'm glad you started with me. Yeah, I had to give it to you. That's As the yeah. leader yeah. of yeah. the <laughs> hashtag Kova crew. Zach and I took huge L's this week. <laughs> I am and, and Barkley. delighted to say that Kovacic was one of the standout players today. And I, it's one of those things where it's I told you so kind of thing where he was never supposed to play as a number eight. Never. He has never been your box-to-box, go into the area, the late run, scoring midfielder. That is not his job. He is an outright ball progressor. He does the hard work in the back, and he's the first guy to get the ball across midfield and get it to your skilled players. That is where Kovacic thrives, and that is exactly what he did today. I, I know that Jorginho brings a lot to what we can do in terms of finding the long pass or the through ball. But if we're going to be having to take the back foot to some of the more experienced uh, top six teams, a double pivot of Kovacic and Conte is the stuff of dreams. And I am looking forward to that when the time comes. I still think that for now, Jorginho does have a place in the starting 11 because we need the build upside and the, his passing ability. But Kovacic was just, man, he, for a guy who's not the tallest guy, he is just so heavy and stocky that he can bully players like Pogba, right? He has that he, low he, center of gravity. It's like Hazard-esque. Right, right. Be Obviously, he, his dribbling, you know, we talked about that last season that sometimes since he wore number 17, there was times where like, is that Kovacic? Is that yeah. Hazard? So he yeah. has that in him. But again, the fact that he gets to operate kind of behind the scenes when we're in possession and be that pass back and he recycles possession that that's where he's good and i was extremely excited about the fact that he was one of our better players obviously again fully aware that we lost for nothing but he definitely stood out to me i also want to give a slight shout out to christensen and i know that it's weird to praise a center back after a four nothing loss but he was doing a lot of the cleaning up when Aspie was out of position when Zuma might have dove in too early for a tackle or when either one of those two players lost possession in a stupid way. Christensen's really good at doing that role where he reads the game and is standing at the right place at the right time. He's not the strongest guy, but mentally speaking, I think he's ahead of his time as to kind of predicting where the ball or the player is going. So I was pretty content with what he was doing. And I really do think that the number two center back position, once Rudiger is back, is is a toss up right now because we have two different players who are good at two different things. And and Christensen obviously has now a step ahead because he did play slightly better than Zuma today. Uh, not today, but this past Sunday. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of piggyback on your uh, – I mean, first of all, I agree with everything you said about Kovacic. I mean, dare I say it, he looked better in this match than he did the first few matches of last season when he was wowing us, you know, with his dribbling ability and, and, and his evasiveness on the ball. But you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about Christensen because, I mean, my top performer on the match was Emerson. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, again, uh, I think our best performer was a defender, similar to what Andres was saying about Christensen. Now, he was one of the standouts. But before I get into Emerson, you know, the thing with Christensen that, that was just brilliant for me is that, you know, a few seasons ago we saw John Terry mention uh, how much he loves Christensen's game and how, you know, he reminds him of himself and whatnot. And I think in this match was the first time where I really started to see that. You know, and Andres, you touched on it, the positioning off the ball. You know, he doesn't – he's not blessed with the most pace in the world. He's not the biggest guy. Um, he's not the strongest. He's not the most athletic. But he's neat and tidy. And I think that's – I think that's something that our back line is desperate for right now, especially with, especially when Rudiger comes back because, you know, he tends to be erratic sometimes. And I, I, I think him and Rudiger will be a great complement for each other, but – Going back to this Emerson thing, he was our biggest threat on the night. And I, I, I and on the script, I wrote our biggest threat going forward on the left-hand side. But you can probably make the argument that he was our most dangerous player, period, in the attacking third. He hit, he hit the post or the crossbar early on in the match. Probably should have been a goal. Um, had played a couple good crosses. His link-up play on that left-hand side was brilliant as well. I do think that uh, Ross Barkley playing off of the left did work to his advantage because Ross Barkley would tuck in inside and leave that whole flank open for Emerson and just kind of rampage and roam. But if we're going to build this team to their strengths, I think that's something that does need to be looked at. You know, Emerson has only grown in stature since coming to the club. I don't think we've seen the best of him, to be completely honest. And I'm not saying he's going to be some world-class left back. He's not going to be the next Marcelo or the next you know, a, a take your pick Philip Lom or whatnot, but he's, he's completely serviceable and he's ideal for the system. And, uh, and I think if we could build our squad in a way where we can allow Emerson to just kind of run up and down that left-hand side, it would be great. And I think the perfect solution to that is bringing in a player like Pulisic on the left-hand side who naturally tucks inside to play that number 10 role. Um, and, you know, once he starts getting regular playing time, Playing with Emerson on that left-hand side, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be as good as Hazard and Emerson, but it's a play, a type of player that Emerson's similar uh, – Emerson. It's a type of player that Emerson is used to playing with, right? Someone that's low center of gravity, quick on the spin, could play in tight spaces just like Hazard, great runner off the ball as well. I think that's a partnership to look forward to. So in terms of top performers, yeah, I'm giving it to the defender even though we lost 4-0, but – in this case, our defender was our best, our best attacker. So, you know, it's just a weird game, guys. I mean, how many times in this podcast have either of us said, uh, you know, the scoreline doesn't re- really reflect the the outcome of the match? How many times have you heard pundits say that? But then, you know, you look at the individual player performances and you look at who shined and who didn't for Chelsea, and you're thinking, how did they lose four nil if you know two of their best performers were defenders in this mm-hmm. match? But I mean, it is what it is. Football's football's insane, isn't it? It it definitely is. And one thing is, I know we have a lot of building stuff and a lot of positives, but we also do have to recognize that individual mistakes 
can prove extremely costly. And that's one thing that Lampard's going to have to figure out who is going to be more composed on the ball. What's he giving up by playing certain players who are more composed, but maybe less skilled because we're not the most clinical team, regardless of, of all these positives. <laughs> I can't remember the number now. I think Sam said uh, 18 shots, zero goals. So while we do have a lot of positives, there is a lot to work with. So we're not saying, I don't think, and I'm speaking on behalf of all of us here, I don't think we're saying that week two and week three and week four and week five, we're going to look perfect. I'm just saying that there's there's positive signs that can be capitalized on if if the work is put in correctly and if the right players do what we think they should be doing. So, again, 4 nothing is is a scary scoreline, and, and we're not obviously – 100% content with that result but yeah there's there's good and the bad but we just have to have realistic expectations of what this is going to look like right and this was just kind mm-hmm. of a, a very humbling way of realizing that this again this is a transitional season so kind of keep a level head as, as we continue going into this season and and what the team realize we have a high ceiling but also have a a low one two. I, I don't know how to really how to really Just temper say your that. expectations. I mean, according to according to Bleacher Report, they got Leicester and Wolves and Everton finishing ahead of us. So nice. according to Bleacher Wolves, Report, we're basically we're fighting, relegated next year. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> Bleacher Report might might be the most confusing. <laughs> soccer media outlet ever because i just feel like they're in flux like i i feel like half of their writers are from europe and have that kind of knowledge of the game and half of their writers are the people that got got sacked from like writing for american football or or basketball and just like oh maybe i'll take up soccer oh uh, looking at chelsea's roster they probably have a couple players that are like overall low 80s on FIFA. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna put them in eighth in the Premier League. You know, like it it <laughs> just doesn't. Probably there's that's probably how they do it. And that's exactly their logic. I'm so convinced on it, but who knows? Well, well speaking of uh, media outlets, let's move on to our uh, Twitter questions of the week. Uh, Twitter being another <laughs> media outlet, by the way. If you guys didn't get that joke. Um, <laughs> so, th- thanks for the laugh, Zach. Uh, so I'll give you another one if you want. <laughs> no, I'm good. Uh, sure. Our first question actually comes from Luis Velasco, who is Andreas's father. He is an avid listener, uh, Chelsea fan as well, but first and foremost, Bayern Munich fan. Is that correct? Correct. But uh, nonetheless, a Chelsea supporter. Uh, he says, one game means nothing, especially when it's the first. The question is, was that the Chelsea you want to see? Was that the best Chelsea you can have based on who you have available? And this kind of ties into Mr. Velasco's question. Uh, Chelsea Blues 22 asks, You guys got to believe, like I do, that once Cho, RLC, Willian, Rudiger, uh, James, and Conte, they all fit, or when they're all fit, <laughs> they'll be a lot better, right? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, those guys coming back, you know, Luis uh andreas's father sorry and we're not on the first name basis yet andreas's father (laughs) kind of asking what's the best chelsea you can have based on who you have available let's also tie in who we don't have available so uh, andreas since this is your father i'll let you answer first what do you think i think that lampard learned a few things the hard way i think sadly barkley is just a number 10 as much as he did free up space for emerson that's all he did that was positive. Uh, 
I think that he just looked out of place, wasn't really much of a a threat overall. Like Sam mentioned, just random long shots, was awful in transition. So not sure if it's the usual inconsistency thing or lack of familiarity with the position, but to me, he shouldn't be starting. I think Pulisic showed in the minutes that he played that he's more than ready. One of his first possessions, he literally spun Aaron Juan Bissaka. Who oh, been... and got sandwiched between Pogba. And... <laughs> yeah, that was so, that was. Oh God, yes. So yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things where I know I've been essentially wishing that Juan Bissaka was a Chelsea player because I just think he's fantastic. But the fact that Pulisic did that in the very first minutes in the Premier League for his career, I think he has to start. I think that Conte and Rudiger, who should be available soon, have to start. And, you know, I, I don't know where William stands, but even Pedro, I think, would be more successful coming off the bench. So a mix of Pulisic, Conte, and, and Rudiger and, and William returning is probably our strongest current 11. So based on what we have, that that would be what I would try to roll out with just so that we can keep that high energy, high intensity going. I think Mount surprised me into wanting him to be the starting number 10. But yeah, I think those three changes, which can be implemented immediately, need to happen when we play Leicester next weekend. I don't know how we haven't talked about Pulisic so far in this podcast, considering that we're, we're the, at least Sam and I are, are his biggest fanboys. Mm. But um, I, I, I think Chelsea Blues 22 has a great point here. You know, you look at all the players that are injured, and I'm looking down this list. You got two of probably our most creative players out in Cho and RLC. You got a player with tons of experience in Willian who is out, and that experience does count for something for all you Willian haters. We got Rudiger, who's our best center back at the moment. Reese James, an up-and-comer, but our best player in Golo Conte was out. I mean, he he did get a run out in the match, but for me, he still doesn't look like he's that close to fitness. Yeah. And by the time and, he came in, the match was already over, pretty much. And right. And and I basically, uh, I, I, my heart dropped when he blocked that shot. I forgot who shot it, but he blocked the shot and came up like kind of gimpy and like limping on that uh, on that on that left leg. And I just thought to myself, oh god, I hope he didn't bring him back too fast. But no, I mean, you look at our, our our players that are injured, and that's that that's pure quality. And you could argue that there's more quality on our injured list, injury list, or injured list, not available, whatever the fuck you want to call it. There's more quality there than there was on our bench this past weekend. And I think that's a huge point to make because once these guys are healthy, our bench is going to be that much stronger, and we'll have more options. And you know, that's something that struck me prior to the match starting was. Besides Pulisic and Ali Giroud, who would we bring on to give us some sort of attacking spark? Like, you don't bring Giroud on to really bring an attacking spark. You bring Giroud on when you need to keep possession and and and, and, and transition your team up the pitch deep into the attacking third. But you don't bring a guy like Giroud on to come, to come on and create and, you know, a, a drop all these dimes and score goals. No, I mean, Pulisic, maybe you could make that argument. But I'm looking at this list, guys. Cho, Rudiger, uh, Cho, Willian, RLC, three players who do all that. Antonio Rudiger probably doesn't give away a penalty like that. 
might be a cop-out to say that, but at the same time, that's our best center back, guys. You know, N'Golo Conte, we talked about uh, uh, us sort of half-pressing. Well, we'll be full-on pressing when Conte comes back because he's the best player in the world at it. So there's a lot of positives. You know, once these guys come back, things are going to be on the uh, on the upturn, I think. And to be completely honest, now that we've talked about it and I've digested it a little bit and I've heard your perspectives and – you know, maybe playing United and losing this bad first game of the season might not be such a bad thing because, for one, if we're going to be a work in progress all season, the chances of us actually beating United at Old Trafford three, four, five months from now are probably not going to be that high to begin with. So the fact that we got this match out of the way early on in the season is huge, but also it's a wake-up call to these players, and I think specifically the young players who did look up for it, but I think the sooner they could play the big boys, the sooner that they could play these these, these uh, decent to great teams that are in the league, the sooner they, they'll develop and they'll get an understanding of what it takes to play at the top level in the Premier League. So, you know, not saying United's far off from the top level, but guys, I mean, let's be completely honest. Like, they're not as bad of a team as we thought they were. We did yeah. dominate the match, but... We'd, I don't think we give, gave United enough credit in our preseason roundup because that duo of Martial and Rashford up top is a, it could be a force to be reckoned with in the Premier League because we talked about versatility with Tammy, but the versatility between them two, I mean, that might be the most versatile strike partnership in all of England. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Hot take there. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I'll follow you on that I, train. I don't, I, I don't think it's that hot of a take. I mean... You look at both players and what they offer. They could both play on the wing. They could both burn players for pace. They could dribble past people. Uh, Martial's a fantastic finisher. Rashford, not so much. He's more hot or cold. But, I mean, they between them two, they sort of have it all in terms of a strike partnership. I mean, they have everything but, you know, a towering 6-5, you know, Lukaku. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing to note, though, just, again, just because I'm playing devil's advocate to what you just said, Martial and Rashford, neither of them have ever scored double digits in a season yep, in the Premier League. that's a good League. point. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, again, I think we made their lives very easy. But uh, before we move on to the next question, I do want to say, you mentioned how these young players had to essentially face the, the big boys. And it's kind of funny how my, my father asked this question. The way I learned how to swim, I got thrown in the deep end of a pool. <laughs> yeah. And somebody was waiting for me about 10, 15 yards away. And yep. you just kick till you make it there. Hey, so I had it, the I had the worst fear of dogs as a kid. You know what my parents did to help me get over it? They brought home a dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you, you go. Learn. So yeah. you have to you have to shake it off. This is what the Premier League looks like. And it is one of the leagues where the the gap between top and middle is is not very, very big. So that kind of stage is going to be pretty much most away matches. So that's a great thing. And and one thing that I didn't get to touch on is the fact that my boy Loftus-Cheek, who I think will be the most important player this season because of all he can bring to our midfield, is yet to play. And mm-hmm. I think he's going to be very important to making that I mentioned that that gap between the defense and, and the offense, essentially, because it seemed like it was two separate units, kind of closing that gap together. So, yeah, that that, that group of players who still hasn't reached fitness is going to feel like a batch of, of new signings at one point this season. Now, we also got 
a, a whole lot of questions from at nward on twitter but before i get into those this, this is would, an nward takeover guys yeah it's, it's finally happening he's gonna be he's gonna be providing 25 percent of the content for this episode just because of this but <laughs> before we get sponsor. in, hashtag sponsor just before we get into that we never brought this up just want a quick take keep it under a minute on your thoughts of about David Luiz leaving for Arsenal because we did we never talked about that. It, it happened like a couple days after our last episode. Andreas, I'll start off with you. I'm I feel personally attacked. Me and David <laughs> Luiz are no longer friends. I I just I don't know how else to say it, man. It's the timing is awful. We broke our rule of over 30-year-old players to to give him a multi-year extension due to the circumstance we're in. And the thing that makes me question everything now is that there had been, you know, certain people that I consider just haters saying that David Luiz's leadership skills were were only limited to the good times and that the whole geezer, all relaxed attitude only came out when things were going well. And now when he was challenged once by Lampard about having to compete for his his place in the team, he just gave up so easily. It, it makes me now doubt if his where his loyalties ever really lied and I don't think it's the same thing as the Peter Cech situation because nobody was forcing him out so yeah I, I just feel betrayed to, as a fan as somebody that has defended Louise a lot so yeah I, about, I think it was a foul move what about you Zach please lord give us Mustafi and David Louise that's a great deal. <laughs> that would be that would be the most exciting center back partnership in the whole world, forget Europe, the whole entire world, <laughs> because they would leak goals left and right, but play beautiful 70-yard crossfield passes. No, look, you don't sign an extension with us. I mean, we go out of our way to give you that extension. Two years, which Andres touched upon, is goes against our rules. You know, he always would go out of his way for fans. He always had a good rapport with our fans. Even when he was celebrating in a PSG shirt, we still forgave him, and we still took him back. And he was speaking highly of Lampard uh, this summer. And he was also speaking highly of Sari last season, despite all the criticism. For me, everything he's done at Chelsea, you know, all the positivity he injected into the club, even though he made all these mistakes, we still loved him for who he was. And the fact that you know, we heard about this rumor last week, and 48 hours later, he's pictured in an Arsenal kit, you know, kissing the badge and patching the badge. I mean, that that's just salt on the wound. So, you know, but who cares how I feel? How about the <laughs> David Luiz superfan that oh, goes I around know. wearing his wig? I, 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 is, is he from – is he the ja – he's Japanese, I think, right? I don't know, but I'm sure he's but, crushed. That's the yeah, the poor him. kid, man. I mean, he even <laughs> showed up at David Luiz's birthday party last year, and now <laughs> – and now David Luiz is at Arsenal, so he better not he better not transfer over to, the, to <laughs> yeah, become an Arsenal hey, fan. If he listens to us by some small chance, like if he's listening, like like reach out to us. Yeah, we'd I'm love really to have curious you on the to pod. see if you're still. <laughs> yeah, why not? We'll have him on the pod. We'll ask him about David Luiz. All but right. yeah, long yeah. story long story short, what Andre said, I agree with completely. He's just not cool. my friend anymore. All right, <laughs> me neither. I'm not friends with him. If, First time I see him kiss the Arsenal badge, it, I, I'm I'm blocking him on Twitter on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but so this first question from at Nward, <laughs> he requests that I read it 
in a proper Queen's English accent, but I think we'd lose about half our fall half our listeners if I, <laughs> if I did that. So uh, I'm just gonna read it in my traditional American accent. Uh, he says, and "You I'm, gotta give I, it a shot, so Zach. If you guys want to do it, I feel no, like, no, no, I'm gonna, no, I'm, no, gonna no, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna no. insult." I'm gonna insult a whole entire country. So you don't want to pull a Kennedy. And just reading this by itself is insulting. You know, adding. <laughs> so this is what he says. He says, "I say, old beans, what's all this poppycock with Mishi being excluded from the bench? It's been yonks since he's gotten proper minutes. Were you gobsmacked to see his omission? I'm zonked, pip pip." So. <laughs> For all you non-Brits out there, and also the Brits that live in the 21st century, uh, he's pretty much asking, <laughs> are we shocked that Mishi didn't even make the bench? Zach, what do you think? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, it, it, look, it, in preseason, yeah, he scored a couple goals, but you know, this isn't the first time we've questioned Michi's mentality and Michi's coachability, I guess you can say, for lack of a better word or lack of a real word. Um, but yeah, no... It, there's been a lot of talk about Michi just not being up for it on a training pitch, not really understanding what the manager tries to get through to him. He seems like the type of player that the second he st- steps onto the pitch, the manager's directions just kind of go in one ear out the other and he just kind of does his thing. And I don't think Lampard's that type of manager. And, you know, I think it's a, a good point to make is that I actually think Lampard might be making an, an example out of Michi Batshuayi similarly to the way he made an example out of David Luiz. If you're not up for it and you're not going to do what's told and be committed to the team – then you're just not going to play. So, I mean, it's still early, but from the outside looking in, that's basically the vibe I'm getting. I think he sees Ali Giroud as like an old, reliable, older, reliable player, especially a guy that has experience in a Premier League that's going to be more valuable on a, in a bench role as opposed to a guy like Michi. Because I think, honestly, I think Frank is dead set on Tammy just like I am. Why are you, Andres? I'll be a little bit shorter than Zach here. <laughs> um, this is now manager number three that doesn't trust Michi. There's something we're not seeing behind the scenes that we have alluded to in terms of his practice mentality and, and what goes on when the coach is speaking to him. I'm not shocked at this point. Something just doesn't click as much as he's lovable on social media and whatnot. It, something is, isn't working, and I respect the fact that you know the managers know better. All right, Enward asks again. He says, after failing to find the back of the net after week one, where do you see goals coming from and from who? Hashtag rep ultra. Hashtag keep the blue flag flying high. Andreas, who's going to be the goal scorer for us? Our very first Premier League goal is going to be scored by Mason Mount. Uh, that's There's a great shout. Love it. Huge, bold prediction from the number 10 position against Leicester City. Mason Mount will score. Uh, I think that it, it has to be by committee. I don't think we have a 20-goal scorer in our system. No. I think Loftus-Cheek showed he can score. I think Pulisic showed a little bit this preseason that if if used in a certain way, he can be a scorer as well. So it's got to be by committee. I think maybe we'll have one or two double-digit scores. But, yeah, everybody's going to have to pitch in. It's going to be one of those things where another season of having a striker or a strike force that doesn't really score much goals. And I think – the benefit this season as opposed to seasons past is we actually have goals in the midfield now. If you look at RLC, you look at Mason Mount, Ross Barkley could, could chip in every now and then as well. I just think there's a lot more goals in that midfield to go around. So that should give us at least, what, 10 to 15 goals between them three, and that's being modest. So, yeah, I mean, our midfield definitely has to chip in. 
But with that being said, you know, going back to me, t- totally Tammy fanboying, I think once Tammy nets his first Premier League goal, I just think he's going to catch fire. And I know he tends to be a streaky striker, um, but hey, I mean, I'll have some of that. I think I think if any of our players uh, reach a double digits this season, I think Tammy's going to do it first. So next, Envar is asking, uh, what match do you see Pulisic getting his first start? So next week, n- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Next, okay. So this kind of leads into our next question because we have two matches coming up midweek. We have a Super Cup match against Liverpool, and uh, at the end of the week we have a Premier League match at Leicester, um, right? It, yeah, I think it's at Leicester. Uh, at King, yeah. Park. No, it's at. Is it at home? No, no it's, it's at home. home. It's, a home, it's at home. It's at home. It's right. At home. Uh, so Liverpool, the Super Cup. That's on neutral ground. Leicester is going to be. Right, the Super Cups on neutral. Correct. Yeah, Istanbul. Got, got it. So, uh, you guys think that he's going to be making the start against Liverpool? I hope not. You you don't hope? Okay, so Andreas, I think you hope that he does, right? I, and, I think I think, think that he does. it'll be it'll be the starting eleven, and then they a lot of them will get subbed out early in the second half. Yeah. I, I don't think they'll be risked so, but why not get them out in a competitive scenario for like 45 56 minutes and zach is the this, so-called uh, pulisic fanboy says yeah i hope he doesn't start yeah i hope he doesn't start because we need him against leicester and the last thing i want him to get against liverpool is kicked <laughs> so, especially midweek that's the priority leicester over over the super yeah, Cup oh, definitely match. it yeah, has definitely. to be without a question but, my question is, I mean, maybe maybe you guys could answer this. Like, do we get unlimited subs in the Super Cup? Because isn't it considered technically a preseason fixture still? Uh, I don't think so. I think okay. you get you get three. So, a, it's a little, it's a UEFA competition, not a Premier League one like the Community Shield. So, so then in that case, I need to see Ross Barkley. I need to see a little bit of Michi, maybe some. Marcus Alonso, some Kennedy. Yeah, why not? I mean, who gives a fuck about this game, guys? Like, if we lose this game on Wednesday, we're not going to come home from work because we're in America. We can't watch it live. We come home from work on Wednesday and we get smacked, you know, 3-4-0. Are we really going to be that upset? I mean, okay, so, I mean, Liverpool... I think that that it is a chance for a trophy, though. I mean, I don't think we're going to put in, like, a C team. So I see maybe, like you said, Alonso, maybe Tamori. I would love to see Tamori. I think that you'll still see Jorginho and, and, and Kovacic. Like you said, Barkley will definitely get a run. Pedro will definitely get a run. William but, may yeah. be fit to start. Would you like to see him start? Or yeah, get him some minutes. Definitely. Uh-huh. Get him some minutes. Not, not he, starting, yeah, but maybe subbed in if, or taken out. Basically, early. everybody that was injured or is injured and is going to be available for this match should get a run out because like, this is basically a freebie mm-hmm. to get some minutes. I think Rudiger is still reportedly unavailable. Allison is going to be out for Liverpool with Adrian starting. So, I mean, do interesting you implications it? on the title race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's beyond the scope of this game. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, do you, do you guys even want to make a prediction about this match? Do you? Like, you guys really don't care about it. I I personally kind of do care. I would love to see a win out of this. It would be awesome. Get a but, trophy. I mean, obviously, you guys are not saying you wouldn't you you wouldn't be opposed to winning. <laughs> obviously, that's I, not what you're saying. But you don't care. So what, I will say this: Liverpool fans do love a night out in Istanbul, <laughs> and I would love to ruin it. Yeah. So, any predictions? You guys, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. That, I'll, I'll give yeah. my prediction. I think Liverpool will win two to one. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I'm saying right now that I don't care, but the moment the the whistle blows, I'm gonna want to win that game and and just shut Liverpool up. I I just think that 
if we're chase if it's three one with ten minutes left, I'm not wanting our players to try to kill themselves to come back. I guess I don't know. It's weird, right? You, you, obviously, I want them to win, but priority has to be performing in the Premier League above yeah. anything else. Like, yes, this is a transitional season, but we have to make for one, we have to improve upon last week's performance. And the quicker we get that four nil out of the way in the Premier League, the better. We're not expected to beat Liverpool, which is why I think I, I'm not too worried about it. But Leicester, people have Leicester above us. Like You mentioned that Bleacher, Bleacher Report, Report has them <laughs> above us. Other pundits have them above us. Let's remind people we're Chelsea FC and focus and get a decent victory against them. That's, that's I think, what should be the focus and the, the kind of the big headline for this week. Not that oh, Chelsea beats B-team Liverpool and gets a Super Cup, then gets smashed by Leicester City. The last thing we want to do is come out of this weekend without three points. Yeah. And so, I mean, we'll, we'll just talk briefly on Leicester. I mean, actually, our last game of this of last season was a nil-nil draw at Leicester. Last week, Leicester's first game was a nil, goalless draw uh, at home against the Wolves. Uh, against they had 70% possession, 16 shots, only one on target compared to Wolves. Oh, man. Eight shots, two on target. Uh, they had 12 corners compared to three for Wolves. So really dominated the game, but nil-nil draw. Uh, actually, they also completed the most passes out of any Premier League side uh, last week. And uh, Brennan Rogers really doing it again with the talented youth. So uh, we'll wrap up the episode with uh, your guys' predictions of what you think is going to happen uh, in this match. Zach, if you want to start. Uh, yeah. Um, for one, I really hope that they don't play James Madison and Yuri Tielemans, um centrally together because I think they'll just absolutely run rings around us. Um, no, but, I mean, give credit to Leicester. You know, they were able to offload Harry Maguire for $80 million. And yes, they didn't necessarily bring in a high-profile name, but their team is still a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they have one of the better fullback partnerships in the Premier League. Uh, Jose Perez uh, has has that little bit of of, of, of magic in his feet. You know, talk about Telemans and James Madison. James Vardy's still a threat. It's going to be a tough one. So, I mean, it's at home. I'm going to go one-one. I'm not feeling that we're going to win because you know. We have to temper our expectations. We are a work in progress. So I think 1-1 against Leicester um, would be a decent result, to be completely honest. Oh, man. I'm See, I'm, I think, a little bit more hopeful of how the game will start based on how we played with United. So I'm hoping for a 2-0 victory for Chelsea. Again, I think Mount will score. So that that's my prediction for the weekend. Do you think? Do you think the? Uh, I mean, it is going to be Frank's first Premier League match at the Bridge, so the atmosphere is going to be crazy. The fans are going to be up mm. for it. How much of that do you um, put in Chelsea's favor? I mean, I think it'll be huge. Us. I mean, it definitely helps if, us. if if we're if we're a young team, Leicester is right there with us. Yeah. So they have Chaudhry, Madison, Tillemans. I don't even know how to say Maguire's replacement at center back's last name. So didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever Shout that guy's Istanbul, name is. I guess. <laughs> if <laughs> if it wasn't De Gea on goal last weekend, we would have scored at least once. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make Schmeichel sound bad, but he's no De Gea, so some of those shots should go in. Hey. <laughs> that Tammy Rocket any other day would have not bounced extremely back towards him from hitting the inside of the post, like. Yeah. I just think that something has to go our way. And if we score, 
with a young, energetic team, that's just going to fuel them to want more. And that's kind of what I hope here. An early goal that sets the tone for the rest of the match. I mean, I guess one thing that is kind of working in our favor is United was able to tear us apart by making the field extremely wide on the counter and just kind of running off the back shoulder of Aspie and, you know, both of our center backs. And I think with Leicester, you don't really have as much pace. Like, you saw Jamie Vardy, but he's he's lost a step. Um, still a threat, but he's lost a step. But, I mean, they played James Madison out wide last week, and Jose Perez isn't necessarily the quickest player. He's more clever. So maybe they might not beat us over the top, but... Then again, I mean, you talk about them technically, this is a really, really good Leicester side. And as much as I hate to say it, they're very well coached. So, you know, it's not, it's definitely not going to be any easy task. Sam, what are you giving it, man? Are you Chelsea win or what? Yeah, I think, you know, what you said about the home fans, like what kind of atmosphere that'll be. We are a young team, so it's very possible that like the moment would be a little bit overwhelming for them as well. So I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that's a possibility, but I'm leaning more in favor of it inspiring and giving them, you know, a better performance. Um, yeah. And I think absolutely if De Gea was not in goal last week, we would have more than one goal. We would have scored a couple and it would have, we probably wouldn't have come out with a loss, you know, really after that, that, uh, that first, I mean, after that second goal, the first goal in the second half. Match was uh, over. We we bottled it, you know. We just completely yeah. bottled. They scored two goals in you know le- in less than two minutes. Um, admittedly, a, an amazing pass by Pogba for that third goal. I mean, that was unreal. But just completely bottled it after that point. But I think the match was anyone's for the taking right before that moment. Still, when it was two nil, but and it just completely changed within sixty seconds. So. Um, I think that obviously against a, a weaker Leicester side at home, uh, it would it, it I wouldn't I mean a draw would also be foreseeable, but I really don't see us walking away pointless, you know. But yeah. if I make a prediction, we're, I think we're going to win this match and handsomely, if I may add. Wow! And look at you, Sam. You've been trying to get this podcast on a positive note mm-hmm. all show long, and you somehow find a way to finish the match or to finish the pod, <laughs> for that matter, on a positive note. So, I mean, that kind of wraps things up for this week. Um, do you guys have anything else to add? I mean, Andres, you do have your uh, student of the game pod dropping this week with Sujin. Uh, what day could our listeners expect that to come out? Hopefully tomorrow. I'm, you know, still learning how to edit sound and whatnot. I need to cut a little bit of the beginning and a little bit at the end. Shouldn't be too hard. So hopefully tomorrow you'll be able to see that on on the Twitter page. It's also on Spotify. Uh, still working on iTunes. So I apologize for all you Apple users, but the link will be on Twitter. I'll retweet it from the SS Blues CFC page. Uh, again, it's going to talk a lot about the MLS, LAFC and uh, the U.S. women's national team. So those are the topics you'd want to expect if you're looking for a little non-Chelsea content. Sue Jin does give her take on the David Luiz situation, though. So there's your little bit but, of Chelsea. But you also thing. get LAFC content on this, too, because we spent the first five Very minutes true. talking about it. Very true. Synergy. <laughs> that's, that's called synergy. Dude, I'm actually curious. Uh, if, 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 if any of you guys are listening and think we're totally overplaying it and you've been to crazy soccer atmospheres either in england or anywhere else in europe 
Oh, we're gonna I, get shit. I on. want you. I want you to come to Los Angeles and come to a game there, and let me know if you think we're overblowing it or if it really is what we think. Because I, I don't have anything to compare it to. You know what yeah. I mean? I want to know if we're if we're overblowing it, if it actually is what we're we're making it out to be. Because I think it is. It, it it could it could honestly stand with like any other fan section I've ever seen and, in America. And where can they uh, let us know what they think of their LAFC trips on? Oh, uh, on Twitter at Roman's Empire Pod. There it is. <laughs> yeah, that's there it I, is. I knew I knew that's what you were looking for. We just totally uh we just totally went Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham on that. Like we combined beautifully for sure. Except this time we actually got the finish. But anyways, hey, next week by the way we need to talk more about Mason Mount because I mentioned he I thought he was the best one one of the best performers and we barely talked about him on his debut. Yeah. You know, well, so we well, got to score. Week. So exactly, we'll talk, yeah. See, Mason Mount will we're score and Pulisic scores his first goal. Mount Mount will score. Pulisic will will probably get the start. So there's gonna be a lot to talk about. But I mean, guys, that that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Make sure you follow us, as Sam said, at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, you could also email us at uh, Romans Empire Pod at gmail Hit us up. We really want to hear fan stories, guys. We know the season is underway. Tell us how you became a Chelsea fan. We're really curious to hear it. We already got Ron's take. Um, we want more emails. We love the interaction. So feel free to reach out to us. Email, Twitter, DM, whatever it is. You could find Psalm's personal Twitter and spam the shit out of him until he no. until we mention your name on the Thank pod. You. Do whatever you need to do. Make it happen. But until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high. We'll see you next week.